we can't um, replace all the products on our shelves with local produce. It's not possible. Hello and welcome to another episode of Red Dot Hot Takes. My name is Hosan Leong and today we're going to tackle another hot topic. With me as some guests, let's say hi first of all to Jolene Tang, founder of the Sustainability Project, which is a sustainability startup. What exactly do you do? Tell us. Okay, hi, my name is Jolene. You can call me Jo for short. Uh, so, okay, my company does quite a lot of different things, but essentially we're just trying to encourage people to take steps to, you know, make the planet a better place to live in. So we do like um, sustainability workshops, we conduct talks, we do education programs. We also have like initiatives whereby we give used packaging a second life. And then we also have a retail arm where we sell like zero waste products. So we do a lot of things here and there, but it's really just to encourage people to take a small step for a better planet. Wow, yeah. very good. Busy, huh? Yes. <laughs> very busy, yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks for being with us this uh, this episode. Now, next up, we also have Darren Tan, who is also your title very long, Head of Education and Community Outreach at ComCrop, Singapore's right. very own rooftop urban farming pioneer. You are one of the first, so tell us more about it. Right, so my name is Darren and I head the education and outreach efforts at Comcrop. So Comcrop is a local farm. We are a production farm, except that we look at turning underutilized spaces into productive land. So our current site, which is also one of the, the larger sites that we have, is uh, on the rooftop of a building, of, an, of a food processing building. Yeah. Where so, is that? Right? Woodlands. Oh, woodlands, okay. Yeah. 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 So right. in my role, what I do is uh, talk about, you know, sustainability and food security and the issues with food production. And I share that with schools, I share that with corporates. And we also work with uh, disadvantaged uh, groups to see whether there are possibilities oh. to then provide meaningful employment on the farm. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, well done. Thank you. And our third guest. For this episode, we have our Minister for Sustainability and Environment, Mr. Grace Fu. Um, you're here, of course, to talk about one of the pillars, one of the six pillars uh, of the Forward SG exercise. Now, perhaps, uh, shall we test everyone and see whether they know the pillars or not? Why yeah. not? Okay, here we go. <laughs> Name one pillar. Uh, I think there's one called Empower. Empower, Joe. Steward. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Equipped. Equipped. There's Care. care. Build, build, unite, and unite. Six pillars. Um, so maybe let's start with um, Minister Grace, and we will talk a bit, a bit about why is sustainability under the steward pillar. Yeah, it's really about how do we continue to live on this planet in a sustainable way, so that we do not extract more than we should and leave nothing for the next generation. There are already signs that we are having a negative impact on the world. So mm. it's about stewarding our environmental resources mm. for, you know, the future good of Singapore and Singaporeans. Right, right. So we discuss things like, you know, what is a trade-off? Is it economic? Is it social? Is it environment? Where do we find the right balance? Well, we'll go into that in just a while because right now we have to go into our hot take, our first hot take for today. Sustainability is a first world problem. It should not come at the expense of economic growth. All right, because... People will say, like I said earlier, I need to survive. Um, you know, 
sustainability is right at the back of my mind. I, how? I, I can't afford to, to pay extra for sustainable things and, and products. So how true is that? A lot of public education is required. First of all, understanding the impact of our economic activities as it is today on the climate. So I think we have been getting some help from uh, the weather lately. <laughs> People are suddenly realizing that, oh, you know, rain shouldn't be and a lot longer. And you can see that there's massive floods. Yeah. It's happening now. Yeah. Right. You talk about UK having wine industry coming up. Yeah. Because it's, the weather is just changing and think about the impact on agriculture and downstream, right? So people need to realize that if we continue at the present pathway, this economic activity that we used, we're used to talking about, thinking about, is actually gonna, not going to be there. I think it's a very important uh, uh, topic and conversation to have. What are your thoughts, Darren? Well, I think... As what Minister has said, there are multiple ways to look at sustainability. And, and I think carbon pricing is one of the ways that they are trying to sort of reflect the impact that it has on the environment. So it's important to also recognize that carbon tax is, is just one way to measure it. There are many other different impacts that uh, an organization or uh, you know, a certain industry has on the environment. So getting people to understand that that holistic picture is very very important. So, Joe, how is that in your in your line of work? Um, how much difficulty are you facing trying to, you know, get into these SMEs and 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 what's the success rate like for you? Okay, I think you're quite fortunate in the sense that most SMEs who come to us already want to commit a bit more into sustainability. But I think it's for myself, it's more about educating the public that we face a bit more of an issue because most of the time they think that sustainability is quite expensive. Um, maybe because of how it is being portrayed whereby when you're sustainable, you use reusables, right? But actually it's from the very start whereby you try to reduce your use before you buy something new. We're just trying to tell them that it's a, it's a trade-off. When you're spending your money on certain things, you're actually really investing in the future. Right. Mm. If you're buying organic, there might be certain chemicals that they're not using that will affect the future. You can't really see it now. So it's a bit intangible. People don't really understand sometimes. So mm. we spend quite a bit of effort telling them, you know, what are the steps you need to take. Okay, now I want, I want, I want to go to this topic of um, greenwashing. You know, sustainability is a big word. Sustainable, everybody's talking about it. It's the buzzword. But are companies taking advantage of it and going like, oh, okay, do no, we do this whole greenwashing thing? What are your thoughts, Minister? I like to say that most of the companies are not doing this intentionally uh, because the standards are not very clear right now because we are talking about many different types of products and many different countries with their own national context. The context of Singapore is quite different from, say, a country like Norway, you know, because a lot of things here are imported Right? So the, the calculation for carbon footprint is actually quite different. But there are small numbers who are intentionally taking advantage of this green labeling and actually not, um, in essence, um, making that change. So for these companies, my view is that it's much better for them to be green labeled and then to be watched and supervised by the people around, the public around it, than to say, I'm not even signing up. Signing up, I think, is the first step. And then once they say signed up, they will find that actually there's enough people watching them and that's too much 
ethical and reputational loss if they say something and not and do something. And they don't do it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I do agree. There are, there are companies that come to us and then they say, oh, I'm in this particular industry and I want to go green, so can I build a farm? And I'm like, that's that's not how you that's not exactly how you go green, right? And and because and, green farm, yeah. So, so they, green, they think vegetables and, and straight away it becomes green. But it's not like that. So I, I have to have a longer conversation with them and say, look, you know, it, it's okay to want a farm. It's okay to say uh, you want to pro grow vegetables for your staff and things like that. I mean, there there is some inherent benefit to that, right? Because maybe if their staff grow the vegetables, then they appreciate the local produce a little bit more. So that helps. But there's also a bigger conversation that we need to have about like, what are you actually doing? What's your core business, right? So if your core business is on one end doing a lot of pollution and then you just have a farm and, and you think that that helps to offset, then I think that's the it wrong way to go. Yeah, yeah that's the doesn't. wrong way to go yeah. about it. Yeah. If you were talking about local produce, we're going to go to our next hot take. Local produce is expensive doesn't have as much variety as imported ones. All right, so people are going, yeah, la, I want to, well, you know, I want to eat my apricots and peaches and, and stuff like that from overseas. Why, why, why can't we just eat rambutans and chikus, right? You know, so because Darren, you, I mean, you're an urban farmer. So yeah. how are we going to convince, you know, Singaporeans and people who live in Singapore that, hey, actually let's buy local. Yes, it might cost a bit more, yeah. but there is an advantage to that. Yeah, so there, I think there are many, many parts of this topic that there are, they have a lot of things to be talked about. Um, <laughs> and and it's, it's in, inevitable that local produce is definitely a little bit more expensive when you compare with our neighbors, right? Because they have cheap land, you know, they have the benefit of uh, lower living costs, whereas in Singapore, rental is expensive, labor is expensive. And we also want to give Singaporeans the right wages. You, you don't want to yes. underpay them, right? So because of that, it's, it's expensive in Singapore, but also with the growing of farms, you know, I think in the last 10 years or so, the number of farms in, in the industry has increased quite a lot. I think as the farms continue to grow and they become uh, better at what they do, you know, the, the number of varieties will increase and the prices should be able to come down. And what I think what people have quickly for, forgotten is that just two, three years ago when COVID hit, there was a point where we struggled to get some vegetables yeah. on the shelves, <laughs> the right? And, and it was a lot of dependence on local farms like us that we then harvested ahead of time. And we made sure that, you know, Singaporeans continued to eat, although there was less variety, but we still had, right? So that, that, I think that's also something that we need to think about. And what Joe said about, you know, like food resilience, the ability to say, okay, today I don't have Thai Can I eat? Bai Chai tomorrow, right? Or if I if I eat yeah. Kang Kong five days a week, yeah. will I get bored? You know, or can I find different ways to cook Kang Kong? But, but actually, from a mm, ministry point of mm, view, right, we can't um, replace all the products on our shelves no, with local produce. Not. It's not possible, especially because of the climate and where it's we are. It's because of climate yeah. and also because of cost. Yeah. And what we really want is thirty by thirty. What does that mean? I, I want what to means that out. we have the ability or capability uh -huh. to produce thirty percent of our nutrition needs by twenty thirty, and that's like six years, oh. seven years ahead, <laughs> right? What does it mean? It's really having the capability so that if we have major disruptions in future, hope that mm. it doesn't happen. But if it does, we have the ability to turn on the scale because the farmers have accumulated technology. Right, but that's really to ensure that we have some basic vegetables, leafy vegetables, basic fish proteins and eggs to keep us going. It's not to replace every item on the shelf with local produce. You know, at the end of the day, right, Joe? Uh, we, you, 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 you are, you are, you are a sustainability influencer. 
Oh no, I wouldn't call it. No, no. But then, what, 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 mm. what, what is your? How are you going to convince people to live this green lifestyle? You know, fast fashion, everything you just order online, it comes, and and then you don't want it, you you dump it. How how are we going to educate people that you know? What, what can we do about this? One thing we try to share with like our followers is this thing called conscious consumption. So they really need to reflect a lot more on the intention when they want to buy something, whether it's a either or, which one they want to choose, which alternative might be better. Because at the end of the day, when you take a step, right, it will impact the environment, right? So it's the trade-offs. How are we going to educate the public to move forward to say that, can you just be content with what you have, Darren? I feel like maybe we've been too successful in importing all these different and we- you know, different countries have been so successful at exporting. Um, but we also need to, at the back of our minds, I suppose, think about what this means for, for every time we mm. buy, right? When I buy a produce from all the way from the United States, for example, right? Uh, what, what is the associated cost with that? You know, not just about the, the dollar value, but, you know, yeah. traveling, you know, the storage and the stuff cargo, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I would like to see, you know, people have a bit more flexibility in that sense, be able to say, okay, today I don't have this, I'll eat something else and experiment around. Because I think, I don't know, there might be one day where we have to eat crickets and stuff, then I'm, I'm stealing <laughs> myself up for it. But, you know, that may be a case. I don't know. <laughs> have you tried, yeah. Minister? Crickets? No. no. <laughs> not, not even the ground up ones. Yet. But I, I will use the word incremental. Right. We can't expect people to totally go meat-free. Yeah. If we say that, you know, MSC say that now we should all go without red meat, I think <laughs> I will lose my job. <laughs> right? Yeah. But if you say incremental, one meal a week, right? Yeah. Reduce. So, so do incrementally. We're going to go into our next hot take. Uh, recycling. Because where are we going to put all the stuff that we that we want, we want to throw away. Um, it's difficult to do and it's not easy to separate our waste. And that's true though because... Um, this is my own experience when, when I was living in Australia or, or even in Europe. Um, I always forget to bring my shopping bag because we're so used to, you know, getting it from the supermarkets, right? Or the shops or the kopitiam. Um, and then you end up paying 99 cents for another recycling bag from Woolies. Um, so we want to talk a bit about that here in Singapore. We are starting to do something yeah. about it. Yes. Um, can we not just say, okay, no more, tomorrow, no more plastic bag, you all bring yeah. them back. Please, can we do yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, so actually our position on plastic is a nuanced one because in yeah. many places, they do not have a, a good or effective waste collection and management system. What do I mean by that? You find many countries um, just land feeling their waste. In mm. other words, just straight directly from the green bin onto a land, mm, landfill. Mm, yes. And so you have really plastic sitting there for hundreds of years, not disintegrating yeah. in any time soon, right? And what happens when you have heavy rain? It gets washed into, into your river sea, system, yeah. it gets into the sea. So you have this whole problem, which is a real enormous problem with marine litter all over the world. Mm. But in Singapore, we collect our waste. We have rubbish shields. We have, you know, the rubbish trucks. And then we either recycle or incinerate. We don't have direct landfilling. So for us, it's not really practical to ban plastic bags. Plastics are used in many, many things. For example, we use it to bag our rubbish before we throw it into the rubbish chutes. It's used for masks, it's used for PPE. So it's really not about banning plastics, but really how do you collect it and treat it? 
properly. And most importantly is to reduce the waste. For recycling itself, it's actually a breakdown of an object into its pure form. So for plastic, you'll break it down and you're trying to use those to make it into something new. Mm. So if you're using like, you know, biodegradable, it causes the quality to degrade over time. Yeah, oh. so it will affect it. Yeah, and it's not so optimal in that sense. See, their marketing work. <laughs> yeah, they're. Wow. No, in some countries, this is the better option. <laughs> okay. In some countries, because okay. their option is actually not incineration. Yeah, it's just the, out in the. Yeah. yeah. Then speaking of landfill, Pulau Samakau, that's your, your pet subject. Joe. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, um, Samaka Landfill, we actually went pre-COVID to visit the island and we do bring people down to see, you know, the amount of space left. So, we do do sharings as well with like, let's say schools and all that. And I think recently, one of the schools that we brought them there, um, the students did ask, can we just build another landfill? Mm. Um, if I'm not wrong, it, it took a few billion to build Samakau yeah. landfill. So it is it is costly because we treat Samakau. Samakau actually the difference is a different landfill from what we have described mm -hmm. earlier. Basically, after incineration, the ashes. Oh. We still need a place, okay. a home for the ashes. So by incinerating it, we have already complexed the volume down to maybe five percent of its original volume. But that five percent still needs to be treated, still need to find a home. Put somewhere, yeah. And Samakau landfill is for that, the incineration ash. Right. right, but for incineration, as obviously there's environmental impact because you know God knows what have gone in. It is organic. It is metal. It is heavy metal, and and if you just put that directly into the sea, it's gonna pollute the sea. It's gonna kill all the marine lives there. So we actually built a proper bathtub, if you like, <laughs> boundary right. with impermeable uh, kind of barrier, almost like a huge sheet mm, of mm. you know barrier to keep the, like the ash kind of, yeah. yes, mm. in the middle mm. of the sea. So you can imagine that it's, first of all, it takes up space mm. in the marine um, space that we have, mm. and also it's costly. And we really do not have sufficient space for litter. If we have space, we want that for many other things. Of course. For farming, for example, <laughs> for your barumundi, yeah. uh, the lights. We want it for recreation. We want it for you know wildlife to grow. Mm. So how can we avoid sort of dedicating another huge space in our very limited area for waste. I mean, yeah. you think about it, right? It's really just space it's, for waste. What are your thoughts, Darren, on, 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 on recycling? And, and, and because you see, because you, you're talking about farming, right? Yep. There'll be waste. Yeah. What do you do with this waste? You know, with with farming, with agriculture, a lot of waste actually comes from the, the cosmetic filtering. Because then people will say like, I don't want to buy vegetables that have an insect bite on it, <laughs> right? Uh, even yeah. though, I mean, sometimes people will say that actually, if you have an insect bite, it means that it's, if, the insects, are, yeah, if, the, if the insects are willing to eat <laughs> it, then you know, it should be safe for you. It's like durians, right? Durians yeah. with worms yeah. taste exactly. better. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's, that's the interesting thing where if you apply it a certain way, some people will see it that way. And then when it applies to something else, then they see it a different way. So that's uh, that's useful to to think about, um, but definitely you know. So for example, like even the stems and the roots of our plants, 
we try to then educate the public on, on what to do with it. So we actually ship out our vegetables together with the roots and the growing medium. Because, mm. I mean, in most farms, they will just cut it off. Yeah. If, it's, if it's in the yeah. soil, they just leave it in the soil. But if it's like, you know, other hydroponics one, they usually cut it off and they pack it in. But we leave it there because one, it keeps the vegetables a little bit alive for a little bit longer. But more importantly, then they can use that, break it up and use it as we soil. Or for the, and, yeah. and compost. Yeah, yeah and yeah, compost. Yeah. And, and it's actually very, very good because it's got all the nutrients, it's got the roots oh. and stuff like that. Have you like seen that, that corn crop? Yeah. In a whole plant. The yeah. vegetables come in the whole plant with the roots as yeah, well. Yeah, and then yeah. we break okay. it up. Keeps so, in the fridge much better. Yes, okay. yes. Mm. Now, now, the problem with um, Singapore because of less scarcity of land and all that, now we, what kind of produce are we actually growing for the for our viewers? So we have vegetables, we got fish, we got eggs. What else? Yeah, that those the mainly, mainly are the main, are the main uh, things, categories right? because meat, um, really meat have, if you go into say poultry and all that, it takes up a lot of space and a lot of mm. energy. Uh, but we are going to expand the variety for on vegetables. So we're going to go to fruited vegetables. Oh, good. So maybe tomatoes, maybe okay. cucumbers. We're going to say um, uh, the fungi family, the mushrooms ah. as well. Yeah, so basically it's just to build up Such the skill sets. But there's yeah. a lot that our farmers can do because mm. they can increase variety. They can make it more efficient. Mm. So actually, I, I think Comcrop and all the other farmers mm. are working every day, every <laughs> harvest, how to produce more Good. with less inputs, right. less you know, I'm trying to be uh, as diseases. efficient as possible yeah. Yeah. and as clean as possible. Fantastic. Mm. Um, you know what? We've got this little bin yes. that um, we want to introduce to homes, yes. Minister. Let us explain how how this, where, where has this come from and yeah. how do we collect this? And You know, from my own experience is that um, my, my son just took a broken pail water pail <laughs> and put it, as well. <laughs> yeah, and, and just put it in a corner yeah. and say this is where the recyclers yes, would go yes. to wow okay. because we didn't have one but ever ever since my, si my son put that broken water pail in a corner it just reminded us that hey actually before I throw it into a bin I can actually just separate and our volume of recyclables have actually gone up quite significantly and also because we are trying to sort upstream so that there's less contamination. So you can put your bottles, paper, or a portion and use a portion for e-waste, for example, so that you can actually do some sorting. And it's got a QR code as well, where you can actually, if you're not sure, uh, just like advertisement, but actually, <laughs> but this is very useful. So I, I want to talk about it because you can actually scan the QR code and it tells you what you can yeah, and cannot put into this bin. Yeah. So it's a really good idea, this one. So. Uh, I think people can collect this at what, community centres yes. and clubs and stuff like yes, that. Yes, so we're going to distribute it nationwide so every ah. household can have one. Okay, so I think it's, it's great because it's about education and I think, um, like I said earlier, in other countries, people are used to separating their waste. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think here we're still in a in the process of going, I and mean, I just put everything into the rubbish chute, la, wrap, throw, and it's boom, done, gone, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so that's a really good initiative. Um, so I think let's let's kind of conclude um, and, and, and give us your thoughts about where we are at at the moment and what do you think our future is going to be like? Because I mean, you know, uh, future generations are going to go, like you said earlier, Minister, Thank you, uncle, auntie, grandfather, grandmother for taking care of us so that now we have a life, you know, um, positive. Yeah, I think on the whole it's positive because I, I'm starting to see that people are definitely being more conscious about their habits and they're trying to learn more. 
And I, I highly encourage everyone else to, you know, just continue this education process because it's important to understand the unique context that Singapore is in. You know, we do things a little bit differently, but that's because we are also built a little bit differently. And, and I think that's our selling point in a sense. So as long as we keep the conversations up and we don't alienate, you know, people who are trying, if you don't bring uh, your own cup or something, then you know, don't don't make them feel so bad. Like some, yeah, don't be so judgy. <laughs> it happens, right? But yeah, yeah. but small steps, like what Minister said, right? Small steps and, and incremental, I think that gets us there. And of course, you know, being a bit more robust and more food resilient, mm. supporting the local industries, that's something very important as well. Okay. Joe, what are your thoughts? So I'm looking forward to, you know, schools having more education and sustainability, like the primary and secondary school, because we see them being a lot more interested, but maybe like there's not enough providers to share with them more information. Yeah. And as a whole, I think a step is better than no step. So I'm positive. I'm really hoping that the future generation and even the current generation, they'll all do whatever they can to be a little bit more sustainable. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Um, Minister, zero waste. Then buffets how? <laughs> well, I, I think that we can, as I say, it's really not about going, going to cold turkey, right? Yeah. But it's about how do we collectively mm. say that maybe buffet should be kept to say very special occasions and maybe the hotel will then take the cue mm. that actually buffet is not so you know, well demanded mm. and, and therefore it will reduce the frequency. Mm. So it's really about moving incrementally and sending, as a consumer, mm. sending a message to the businesses. Mm. But at the same time, we're also not going to just live without a plan B. So we're still, we're doing adaptation. Things mm. like the local um, produce, things like water resilience, things like coastal protection. It's about us agreeing as one generation, what we should do for the next. Thank you so much, um, all my guests today, Darren, Thank you. Mr. Grace Thank and you. Joe, um, for having this robust discussion about sustainability. I think it's really important that we we actually go forward um, with these these initiatives that the government is putting forward. So on that note, thank you for joining us on this episode. If you have any comments or questions, you can always leave them um, at the link uh, at the comment section below. And on that note, we're going to see you next time for the other pillars that we're going to talk about. See ya. 